Radical, episode 224. Welcome to Radical, ladies and gents. I am your host, Shane Hazel. Today, uh, I got to do an interview with my buds in the basement, buddies. Um, Sean and uh, his his wife were gracious enough to, to host me, uh, and uh, thank you very much. I think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. Uh, we, we tried to set it up, I think, probably before I went down with the back injury and everything else and just wasn't able to to get it done and uh, had to reschedule. So uh, we finally uh, worked out at a time uh, between... Uh, our work schedules caught a lunch and uh, decided not to eat, just go do an interview. And uh, it, it was awesome. Um, Sean is a, a Braves fan, lives in Michigan, uh, has got you know some some really, really uh, kick-ass taste in music and everything else. We get into a whole bunch of stuff, but we also get in uh, to a lot of questions that were asked of uh, people here in Georgia about the governor run. So uh, a lot of policy questions uh, in terms of you know what what I would do as governor, and uh, I hope you guys find a lot of knowledge and a, and a lot of uh, inspiration in this because this is something that I like sharing with you guys. Sometimes is you know you go out and do an interview, you kind of do some cross pollination. Uh, this is a crossover show, um, so it is uh, is going to be kind of both ways. And I, it, it, I don't know. I had a great time. Uh, Sean's an amazing host, uh, really just a, a kick-ass guy in general. And, um, you know, humbled to death by, uh, by, by all the words and, and praise and uh, man, just, you know, to, to put all this work in, uh, and have guys like Sean out there, um, man, just, it, it hits home. It, it you know, it, it's one of those things that just, it hits. And, Boy, super bass guy. Oh, I think you guys are going to enjoy this a lot. Without further ado, my interview with Buds in the Basement. Bam. We're up. I'm recording. I got I got backup audio for you. You get a quick check on your side. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit record well, right I now. It'll count, it'll count down five seconds or whatever. We're doing it. <clears throat> All right, here we are. Thanks, babe. Mm-hmm. All righty. Welcome to Buds in the Basement Podcast. I'm Sean Collins, the guy with a lot to say, and I'm here solo today. No Bubba. Unfortunately, he had to work. He's got hours to put in. He just bought a house. But I'm here with a very, very, very special guest, uh, Shane Hazel, man, the host of Radical Podcast and your libertarian candidate for governor in Georgia. Uh, so happy to have you on, man. How you doing today? Sean, uh, we've been trying to do this forever. I'm, I'm good, man. It's uh, it's cool to kind of take a lunch break and come around and do this and, and pop up with a, another, I think it's Braves fan. And man, I'm, I'm, and from Michigan, from, I don't know, man, it's like these, these concentric circles and everything. It's, it's awesome. I totally wore my chop chop hat for you on purpose. I actually bought it last, last year after they won the World Series because I'm an OG. I'm in my 40s, so I'm an OG Braves fan. We're talking like Tom Glavin and David Justice days, you know. So when they finally you know, when broke they won their the series slumps. again, it was very cool. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, we, what, what did we get? Like one one victory in what 95, and then like I mean, all those dances beforehand, and in, in, in the NLCS and everything else, and it was just like we couldn't close the deal. And yeah, was, I mean, they got one championship out of the deal, right back then. That was it, man. That was it. And then you know, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, I mean, they were always headed to you know the at least the playoffs, if not the World Series, and you're just like, ah, come on! And like last year when they won, man, that was, I mean, it was it was reminiscent, right? It was like this team that you were like, 
nobody thought was going to win. They had a huge, huge season in terms of adversity and then came back and, and smoked it. It was awesome. That That is awesome. And actually, um, I just found out via Twitter that you were from Michigan. Um, so you got Michigan ties here. And so I got to ask you, man, um, I, I Googled, and I don't know if Google's all true or not. They say you're from Alma. Yeah, Alma is. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, we, Alma. We, okay. Yeah, we actually lived in uh, Mount Pleasant. My dad was a respiratory tech in Mount Pleasant. He didn't like the hospital, so he was like, "No, we're going down to Alma to to have this birth done." <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> we, we were from Mount Pleasant, man. Um, actually, not too far, maybe a mile down the street from the uh, casino. If you guys know where that is. Uh, what is that M20 that runs across there or something? Uh, from Midland to Mount Pleasant. So. Oh, M22. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, something like that. They make T-shirts and shit like that. All you know, all up here or whatever. It's a big Michigan thing. But I have to ask you, since you are a Michigan guy, are you a Sparty on? Are you hailing to the victors? Yeah, uh, this is a Sparty household, man. My my wife is a Spartan, and it's you know I I kind of came okay. up as, as a Wolverine, and then she came into the house and uh, changed my mind. So <laughs> I, I conceded. No, and, uh, <laughs> they they have that effect on us. I will say, I yeah, will like, say, I, um, I, I really don't Shane, care as long as she's happy. That's right, happy wife, happy life. There's right. a lot to be said about that. Trust me. Yeah, not gonna lose it over a sports team. That's for damn sure. <laughs> That's right. But uh, let me let me bring this in by saying this. I, uh, I, I started following you in 2020 um, just by chance. Um, on Facebook, I started following other libertarians or whatever. And you were one of those suggested folks or whatever. And I clicked on you. And let me just say this. You had me at decentralization and banking cabals, okay? <laughs> like, seriously, man. That, that, you're speaking my language. I was like, you know what? I'm going to follow this guy. And I've been following you ever since. And I must say, uh, I really, really, really love what you're doing. Um, you are you are doing a lot of great things for the Liberty Movement. And uh, I, I definitely appreciate you because you are very boisterous and people are listening to you. And so I'm very happy to have you here. Now, now that being said, I want to bring in something about decentralization because a lot of folks don't understand this. Yeah. And with the way the world is right now, and the endless government spending and printing of money and the Federal Reserve just going along with it, um, we're not going to be able to sustain this for much longer before things just completely collapse and things get real ugly around here. So um, please give us your uh, 411 on decentralization because you're like one of the best to talk about it. With. Boy, well, first of all, I'm humbled. Thank you for... I mean, for everything, like it's, it's one of those things to put stuff and create, you know, create content, put it into the universe and have it well received. So, um, on like it, it's, it's a, you know, it's a something that I don't take lightly, uh, at all. So thank you very much. And, and thanks for having me on. Cause you know, to give somebody a platform to talk about decentralization, um, you know, there's not a lot of places that want to talk about this kind of stuff. There's not a lot of people that see all the different avenues. And I, I, you know, this is one of the things that, you know, in terms of my background in the the Marine Corps is, you know, specifically tailored to understanding how this government works, how the, you know, the banking cabals and the political elites and the zombie corporations try to 
manipulate, control, and live as parasites off of people, right? And so freedom has to naturally mm -hmm. exist down to the individual. And what you're talking about in terms of government structure and banking and corporations uh, and and politicians has to be more local. So, you know, one of the one of the places that I dive into uh, for you know, no kidding, maybe not as you know, glamorous type of uh, decentralization is your local sheriff, your local mayors, where you can really kind of go in, have, you know, a, a sit down conversation with them and say, hey, listen, you know, this is, you know, something that's quote unquote unconstitutional, you know, not that we are looking at a, you know, a constitutional republic as an example, but these guys actually swore an oath and are supposed to be upholding you know that document now if it gets us closer to rights use it as a tool to decentralize to get the state and get the national government bureaucracies and everything else out so we've done some local things here uh for you know decentralization and along the lines of civil asset forfeiture we're trying to get in uh, psychedelics you know in this in, in this county so that you know what the executives won't do is prosecute peaceful people and that's really you know the name of the game at the local level but in terms of a more global approach to what we're doing, uh, one of the biggest things that I talk about is, you know, economics and finance, right? Like learning, first of all, learning economics, especially Austrian economics. Mises Institute is a great place to learn. Um, but, uh, you know, specifically, you know, when you start diving into what is money and what is hard money, um, you start to realize that this fiat you know, system that we have now is just, you know, completely and utterly rigged. Um, and so what I've started looking for was, you know, something else. And honestly, I was, I was losing hope, right? I was like, I'm going from that optimistic guy into this, like, oh shit, like we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to stack bodies. And like, that's obviously as a Marine, like, I don't want to ever do that shit again. Um, especially here in right. America for God's sake. So, I found Bitcoin and man, I was that guy, man, like lead, gold, silver, homesteading, everything that you can do to divorce yourself from being fragile um, and, take, and taking care of the basics on your own so that you're really this not only anti-fragile, but very hard target for anybody that's looking to do bad things. Um, and Bitcoin didn't fit. Bitcoin was one of those things where I was just like, man, that's, that's funny internet money. I don't have the time. I don't want to learn it. And somebody's like, hey, let me help you understand just a little bit. You've got Austrian economics down. And now to understand that this is built in unbreakable code. Um, and, you know, I started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And I, what I discovered was just this, you know, white pill after white pill after white pill uh, type of understanding of what real hard money is and what it's going to do mathematically, you know, like through mathematical certainty to this, you know, awful organization that I call the murder cult. And just, you know, for everybody out there, like I'm not looking at your rank and file. I am looking at the elites. You know, when I say murder cult, I don't mean everybody in the military. I mean the top brass, the elite politicians that, you know, make sure that spending for all these atrocities is done. And then the banking cabals, which obviously fiat currency into existence in the best way uh, for those guys to survive is to, you know, push money, more money faster around the globe. And so when, when I talk about the murder call, I'm talking about the, the elite bankers, politicians, uh, and brass of the military.
I mean, bureaucracies, period. Oh, I'm totally there with you on the murder call. I use that term very loosely on this show just because I feel like you and I are kind of on the same level when it comes to politics and stuff like that. Um, I I have no love for these people. Uh, No love for the elephants, no love for the asses. Um, I'm literally a former neocon. Uh, You know, I I was a staunch Republican until I was 28 years old, and I found Ron Paul. And, uh, you know, I voted for him in, in 2008 and 2012. Uh, then 2016 came along, wasn't a big fan of Gary Johnson. Uh, so I went down that Trump road. And let me tell you something, brother, I, I immediately uh, regretted that. He made me regret that decision, just like George W. did. Like, sure. I voted for George W. twice, and for fuck's sake, like, he ruined this country. He spent a bunch of money. I mean, literally, W was doing what Biden's doing now, except Biden's doing at a higher level by far. Um, but they're not too far off the beaten path. And that's why I try to tell people on this show that, you know, these Republicans and Democrats aren't very much different. They just want to steal your money and spend it a little different. Yeah. You know, and uh, now, you know, with all that being said, you know, the, the big hashtag right now is national divorce. And we need to talk about that because we need to we need to break free from these people. And, and you know, you're one of those folks who I, I really respect when it comes to this. So when it comes to a national divorce, I mean, please explain it from your end because you are one of the best at this, really. That's just gonna <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. So national divorce is actually already happening, right? Uh, whenever you see places that say, eh, I don't think so, federal government, and, and, and the the, either the state or localities stand up. You know, one of the one of the big pushes in America uh, that you know is, is just headline is cannabis. So the cannabis movement. You know, they'll always say you know libertarians are you know these Republicans that like to smoke dope. Well, it's more about just freedom in general, right? It's like, hey man, it's a plant from Earth. Right. You and your hubris, like. But Colorado, California, the West Coast all came out, started swinging and said, hey, you guys can take your federal enforcement and prosecution of peaceful people. We know what this stuff is. You guys have patents, for God's sakes, all over the place for this kind of stuff. So you're sitting there telling us in one hand it's a Schedule One drug with no uses, but at the same time you have patents, which means by default that it has a use. And so they started to do nullification and decentralization, saying, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna you know quote unquote allow um, these people the 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 right and permission to go out and you know smoke or ingest cannabis or whatever psychedelic they wanted." Um, and you start to see that's the way things you know begin to loosen up. the The federal stranglehold is is broken because the the feds dangle carrots for states. They say, if you do this, here's going to be some federal money. And so when people understand that you don't need that federal money, that carrot out there and everything else, what they're doing is using local law enforcement to prosecute peaceful people. And when local law enforcement says, eh, we're not doing that, or the state says, no, we're not doing that, um, you begin to see the the cracks in this quote-unquote, you know, constitutional republic form where decentralization and balkanization are happening all over the place and you know new hampshire is a great place and a great example of everything that they're not doing and they won't get any press for it because if they did then you know those ideas would start to you know you know burn like wildfires around the country and i think that's absolutely what's happening now and it's not even i think most people you know i don't know how you know it's all going to to pan out in terms of balkanization 
but the balkanization of america is inevitable and it's also one of those things that i i you know i hope people start to see and understand and it's hard that this whole thing was a lie to begin with right and and for me like the absolutely I, i think the history is probably one of the cornerstones of this i mean the history of indoctrination in america where you get up and they take you off to this government indoctrination camp as a youth like at five years old and every day you're pledging allegiance to a flag and it's like guys that that's nonsense and where this system came from is prussia it came over with progressives and what they're teaching you is nationalism you know, state-sponsored nationalism, you would never allow somebody like Walmart or Amazon to have a monopoly on indoctrination or education, and we allowed it here in the United States. So you, you've you got this, you know, this, I don't know, shucking off of this, you know, mentality, this nationalism that was a complete lie, and it's very painful for people. But when, I think, I think when they start to understand that it was a lie, that what we were doing overseas was bullshit, what we were, you know, the, the freedom, you know, that they are all pissed at us for it was just complete nonsense. It was all for the banks, it was all for the politicians, and it was all for the zombie corporations. And so to to, rem- to remove that cancer, D.C., you know, as Ron Paul said, is like when you cut a cancer out, you don't replace it with anything. D.C. needs to be, like, D.C. needs to go away. And honestly, I wouldn't care if Russia and China invaded D.C. and kept it there and said, thanks, guys, everything else. And this is exactly what, you know, we did with the quote-unquote British when we had the Dutch and the French and everybody else that, you know, came to the, you know, the, 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 the let's just call them American guerrillas, right? Because that's where we right. are now. The American guerrillas that just said, hey, just leave us alone. Like, we just leave us alone. Stop trying to take everything that we're earning. Stop, you know, trying to cut off our energy and our food and commerce and just stay out of our lives. So I think this decentralization is happening naturally as this empire is imploding and falling before our eyes. And I just think it's it's so big that most people just don't see it. But it's it's definitely happening and it needs to happen. Uh, we'll all be more free and the American ideal, you know, will survive and thrive when DC is gone. Absolutely. I feel like decentralization is the key to peace, prosperity, and liberty. I mean, we're not going to see that until we break free from these asshats in DC. I mean, these people are lunatics. Yeah. They're out here sp- <laughs> Death <laughs> they're spending all of them. trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of our money and fucking sending it overseas to enemies. They're literally giving our money to enemies. It's disgusting. And and part of this, I want to throw this out at you just because it really bothers me as a small business owner what the White House just fucking uh, published, I think it was about a week ago, of these Congress people who took PPP loans and not only took PPP loans, but got them forgiven, man. And we're talking millions of dollars. And here's little old me a small painting business. And by what I mean, a small painting business, it's just me. I paint houses by myself. That's what I do. And I could have taken some of those loans out and I didn't take a penny. I went out and earned it every day Yeah. because I don't want to be a financial burden to society. And you just don't want, you know, what's your take on that? Just because we're, we're there. Yeah, man. From a guy that, you know, worked his way through school, right? Like I I got fed the lie, you, you know, 
get good grades and go to school and all that bullshit and then go defend the country. And like, I did both of those things, you know, for my, my eight years. Right. And it was one of those things where like I was working overnight at home Depot stocking shelves while taking a full, you know, full load at college. And so for anybody to, you know, take loans and then expect that they need to be quote unquote forgiven. Well, that's not really how it works because here's what's not happening is the banks aren't forgiving. It's the government that's subsidizing. And it, it, this, oh man, they do this with language all the time. They bastardize it so that it's an easier pill to swallow. So what I see is, right. you know, subsidizing, you know, bad economic choices where people went in and, you know, took loans that they should have never taken. And now they expect everybody else who was responsible, who like literally put in the work, grind it out like the daily hustle get up at i don't know 2 a.m 4 a.m 6 a.m not put it in an eight hour day put it in a 14 hour day and then come home deal with family you know try to love everybody as much as you can while you're grinding i mean the the idea that somebody else that has to go through what they have to go through to like not like just stay out of debt but like to get above zero right because most americans aren't above zero most people are drowning in debt they have no savings and now you're going to tell the world that did that like that community that was responsible that now you're going to take on the subsidy for these people that didn't do that thing what on earth are you talking about and then that's you know that's the sham right is like oh you know like you guys are all cis white male privileged blah 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 and you know they try to paint this demographic that you owe taxes and you owe society and you wouldn't be where you are without them man these are the guys that are literally building and producing and pushing economic um uh, flourishment into the economy Whereas everybody else is a parasite. Everybody else is a drain on that economy because you cannot continue to consume over and over and over without running out of things. That's how you die. Like that's, that's why locusts die off. It's why parasites die off. And what we're experiencing now is exactly that is like, these people are parasites, 100% parasites. And they are doing it at the, uh, I don't know, at their own peril, because when they kill this host, right, or this host says, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm done with the, you know the extraction of my wealth by force and coercion," because there's not a lot left. Then what you get is really uncomfortable people that are now aligned because survival demands it. And I am like, I am chomping at the bit for when good people start to stand up and say, "We're done," we're, and I think we're very, very close to that now. Oh, I think we're there too. And I will even go as far to say is that with between now, like midterm season and election season in 2024, if the United States government keeps up what they're doing, we will probably see real violence in the United States within citizens, not, not uh, like military or anything like that. People are going to lose their fucking minds and take up arms, which is the last thing we really need to be doing. Agreed. You know, let's uh, let's be honest here. I don't ever want to see that in my life. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if they keep pushing and they keep pushing and they keep pushing peaceful, peaceful, at a certain point, people are going to crack. I mean, 
that's that's just the way it goes. I mean, in, in mental health and in, in anything, you can only be pushed to a certain point. And I think if they keep pushing, we're going to see some real shit and it's going to be scary because once that does happen, I firmly believe that the Biden administration will implement martial law, which will completely, will completely screw us. Yeah, it, and, and that's that's one thing I don't think they're considering, right? Like uh, Spike Cohen made a great point the other day is, you know, these AR-15s, weapons of war, um, are ineffective against an entire, you know, centralized government like the U.S. But at the same time, they're, they're saying that a bunch of unarmed people tried almost overthrew the government on January 6th. And it can't be both. You know, and that's the thing is these are the most heavily, no. this is the most heavily armed population on earth. And they've been peaceful. They didn't bring guns on January 6th. Had they even killed everybody there, there wouldn't have no. been a coup. And, you know, and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if these guys think that they're going to stand up and fight a, a conventional force in America, they're sorely mistaken. They're going to be fighting guerrillas. And anybody with a uniform, anybody with a badge, anybody with a, a car, whatever it is, is going to now become a target. And I don't think they've considered that. Like, I'm not saying yes. let's do this. I'm saying the longer the longer we keep peace, the, the easier the transition from the elite power structure back to the individual will be. And the more you will gain... Because the longer you can stay peaceful, the more mistakes these people are going to make, the more they are going to out themselves, and the more unity you find at an individual level, but while still keeping and preserving individual rights. And that's the that's the glorious piece about what we do. You know, I think Julian Assange said something. You know, you know, wars are started with lies, and peace will start. What did he say? Uh, you know, the revolution, right? Like this, if you stay peaceful, right. basically what you're going to get is a decentralization movement. That's amazing. And I, and I really want to see the decentral decentralization of America because we, we need that more than anything. We need to control our lives. We need to control our money. The government is way too intrusive in what they're doing right now. They keep extorting our money and don't think for three seconds that the taxes aren't going to go up. You know, this asshat Biden is like, hey, we're never going to raise taxes for people under 400000 Let me tell you something, y'all. Um, with this Inflation Reduction Act and them just bailing out the banks, I'm not going to say they're bailing out the students because they're not. No. They're bailing out the banks and they're going to turn this cost onto us. It is going to put us into a very, 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 very bad situation. We need to end the Federal Reserve. We need to end the federal government, get them out of the way, and take control of our lives and our money. And with that being said, I want to move on because I have so many bullet points written down for you, and I want to try to get <laughs> to them It's all good, brother. We'll see. Oh, yeah. I'm going to keep you busy, man. That's right. Uh, so since it is election season and, you know, there's all the, the voter bullies out there, you know, Hey, you know, hypothetically a vote for Hazel is a vote for Kemp. Yeah. You know, like, what do you say to people like that who are, you know, trying to bully people into not voting libertarian or finding a third party or even a different way? You know, you know what do you say to people like that? I, I feel bad. I mean, there, there are some legitimate bad actors, right. That are just using fear to 
try to elicit a response, you know, a knee-jerk reaction, wherein if they truly understood what was going on, they'd understand, hey, this thing is going to go to a runoff. No matter what, like, this is going to a runoff unless it's fixed and we can't garner, you know, the the one and a half, two percent, right, which we're going to get it. Um, the, the A vote for a libertarian is a vote for a libertarian, just like a vote for a Republican is a Republican and Democrat, right? The thing is, is I don't... You know, when I tell right. people like, hey, listen, you know, these are the same people. These people aren't talking about less government. It's like Brian Kemp loves government. He loves being a tyrant. He loves having that power as, you know, seen in this last year or last two years where he called it people non-essential. He locked them down with a threat of force and coercion. He invaded businesses with bureaucracy or let the federal government invade business with bureaucracy he bragged about record tax revenue in the years where people's businesses and jobs and livelihoods were being decimated and destroyed to the tune of you know about a million people here in georgia alone and it's like if this guy isn't bad enough and he isn't a tyrant and he loves government and this lady over here loves more government those are your choices you know, like it's either she's a lunatic, by the oh, way. I'll just come out and say it. She's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I, I 100% <laughs> agree with you. And the thing is, is like Kemp's not that far off. Kemp down here is what most people would consider a blue dog Democrat in the 1980s. Like we had this guy, Zell Miller, another Marine, blue dog Democrat, which actually he was not a terrible governor here in Georgia. Like a lot of people really liked him. Um, he tried to do, you know, some decentralization things, but at the end of the day, like that's kind of who Brian Kemp is. Only I don't think Zell Miller would have ever thought, oh yeah, I can lock down a population and threaten them with force and coercion. So, you know, a vote for a libertarian? No. That is either one, it's a protest vote because we've got the Tea Party and, and a bunch of other, you know, uh, caucuses in the Republican Party coming to this campaign. Or you literally yes. will stand and fight against the machine where People, you know, in history to win their rights just needed an irate minority. This is, and that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to collect this irate minority that says it's all rigged. We're done. You're going to stay out of our lives or fuck around and find out. And like, you know, that's the thing is that's, that's the last thing that we want, right? Like I'm trying to find the fighters and I'm trying to find the people that'll stand against the odds because that irate minority, that's what saves freedom in the end. Absolutely. I think that a, a, a vote for a libertarian is not only a vote for a libertarian, but it's also a bold vote and a brave vote. Um, that's letting the government say, letting the government know that, hey, we are sick of your shit. Yeah. You know, we've had enough. There are people out there who really love freedom and liberty, and we want to go that road and get the hell out of our way because we've seen enough of you. And that's that's how I feel what uh, voting libertarian is on my end anyways. Now, I want to talk about this because you are running for office and, you know, it not only, you know, there's people that say, hey, we can never vote libertarian because they never have a chance. Well, there's a big reason they don't have a chance and you're probably living it. I know Larry Sharp is living it right now and they really did him dirty in New York. Mm -hmm. um, the, the Republicans, if you don't know, the Republican and Democrat candidates sued Larry Sharp to keep him off the ballot. They won. He's a write-in. Did they treat you the same way? 
So luckily, we still have ballot access for only statewide races down here. So if you're running for governor, secretary of state, ag, um, it used to be PCS, but that got public service commission, or PSC, um, that got struck down uh, a couple weeks ago. And then uh, I think there's maybe one or two more like U.S. Senate, like have done that before. So if you're running at the state level, you can run as a libertarian if we continue to keep numbers up and get ballot access. Like we have a threshold right now. Um, and, and that's that's the only reason we're allowed on any of the ballots. So, um, yeah, we, we see it all over the place uh, in terms of ballot access. But it's it's that fight that I think is the broader question is, you know, if you can't put your name on a ballot, right? If you can't put your name on a ballot for dog catcher, if you can't put your name on a ballot for mayor, if you can't put your name on a ballot for commissioner, if you can't put your name on a ballot for whatever local race is going on as a libertarian, then what you have is a ballot access, you know, problem. And in, in quote unquote, you know, a democratic republic, which Article Four of the Constitution says you have to be in terms of the states, then what you have is a rigged system you you are suppressing the voice of at least half the population because only half the population even engages with republicans and democrats so the other half of the you know population saying uh, no screw those guys we're not into this thing at all and we're not even going to show up for election day right like that's how bad these people are they've alienated half of the country to say this system doesn't work and then they don't let them uh, have any type of ballot access unless it's through the controlled Democrat, or, Democrat and Republican parties, which, you know, for for the life of me, I can tell you for a fact that Brian Kemp would rather have Stacey Abrams than me on the ballot. And Stacey Abrams would definitely rather Brian Kemp win than me as well. So it's like, yeah, we, we know the fix is in and it's more or less how do we get people to reject the system? How do we get them to unite and say, no, nah, no, nah, this is all rigged. We're not doing it anymore. Right, right. I, I'm a firm believer that all elections are rigged. It's I, I laugh when I see these Trumpers be like, the election was stolen. I'm like, dudes, I'm not all the way sure that Trump won in 16, you know, so yeah. knock it off. You know what I'm saying? Like this stuff has been rigged for decades. Do you remember in 2012, Mitt Romney supposedly beat Obama? He I... did a victory speech and everything. I yeah I, I, I was I was so turned off by the fact that Ron Paul was not the nominee. I think I was just like I don't care Romney or this. I wrote him in that year. I did. <laughs> I wrote him in in 2012. <laughs> yeah. I was not having it, you know, because by that that time after the Bush thing, I was like, you know what? No more neocons. I'm never voting Democrat because they yeah. come after a Second Amendment right. I will never ever turn over my guns. Fuck around and find out for real. Right. But uh. You know, let's uh, let's talk about this now. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions about libertarians, and and uh, I want to I want to put this out there. What do you have to say about the people who are like libertarians? If you vote them in, that'll be a bunch of lawlessness and anarchy. Which, by the way, y'all, if you listen to the show, you know how I feel about anarchy. I love it. There's nothing <laughs> bad about anarchy. The media has totally ruined that word right. for you. Anarchists are peaceful people. But uh, anyhow. Um, you know, for, for the folks out there who think that uh, libertarianism is a bunch of lawlessness and are, they're only for corporations, you know, that's, you get a lot of that too. You know, what do you say about something like that to voters? 
Yeah, I mean, at the voter level, you know, it, it's it's very easy to explain. Libertarians about property rights, uh, first and foremost. You know, you own you, you own the the fruits of your labor. It's very Rothbardian, um, and, and I know, you know, I don't use the word Rothbardian with them, right? Like, but at the same time, property rights is a very easy thing for people to explain. Is your money is yours, your property is yours, what you make is yours. And nobody has a right to any of those things. And people, you know, they, Damn they, right. they, they start to perk up when you start talking property rights. It's not a Democrat issue. It's not a Republican issue. At the end of the day, you can talk to people who graduated from, you know, Harvard or Yale or Berkeley or anything else. And you start to talk to them about, you know, coming into their property and taking something that's theirs. And they whoa, 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 right? It's like, ah, but the idea then tra- it has to be consistent and translates uh, or else, you know, you, you've got the, the cognitive dissonance is, you know, all right, if you can say this at this level, then you have to be able to say this in terms of, quote unquote, taxes in society. And so it's not that we want societal breakdown. We just don't want interference in the market. What we want is a free exchange. So good ideas obviously don't yes. require force and you know the the whole roads argument you know it's one of those things that is like clockwork i mean i was at a gun show i was talking to a former marine and he's like well, what about the roads and i was like hey man <laughs> there is and speaking of larry sharp larry sharp is great at, at this type of policy stuff where he talks about you know putting fedex on the brooklyn bridge right like a, having these roads and transit systems sponsored by real business or you know the idea that you can do charity for people that can't afford to maybe i don't know use a road right like who's who wouldn't pay like an extra 10 cents willfully voluntarily for the guy behind him that's trying to get to work in a you know a, you know a shitbox right like trying to like do something like Funding yes. and charity and things like that will work itself out. And the thing is, is what you're doing is you cut out middlemen. You cut out A to B. You cut or you cut out C, I should say. A to B happens and C is nowhere in sight. And C being the government, the state with its hand out trying to award its cousin a contract or you know, move you know politically so that they get reelected or get money for reelection. What you're doing is you're cutting that out. And so now it's just transactions between peaceful people and voluntary society. And and, and I think because they've done the PSYOP in terms of anarchy, right? It just means no rulers. Um, we've got the, the the perfect situation to start looking at some of these solutions where you are literally bringing in industry to own things like transit or roads or utilities and put them in competition. That way, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the only way a monopoly survives in a voluntary society is by offering you the best product or the best service at the lowest prices. And that breeds competition because as soon as somebody takes advantage of that market where they're not providing the best product or the best service for the best value, then compet- it leaves room for competition. And you can start to explain that to voters. And, you know, that, that free society in terms of, you know, quote unquote libertarian uh, ideas is very easy for them to recognize. Right, right. I totally get that. And I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, there's not too much I don't disagree with you on, I swear. Now, now I'm going to get into this 
Um, I got people in Georgia. I got, I got a couple of friends down there. My girl, Jess actually happens to be talent on kicks 99 in Augusta. No kidding. I know her. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, I know her. We used to work in Olive Garden together <laughs> and we actually went to the same broadcasting school. Um, but she went years after me. Um, but anyhow, you know, I got her and I had my friend Mandy and I, I had asked them both, you know, some questions that they might have for you um being down there yeah and i'm gonna tell you what my friend mandy did because she did some digging and she went on a local libertarian she moved she just moved to the country okay and and georgia um i can't i can't remember don't, don't tell anybody she doesn't want to she... <laughs> that's like don't don't tell anybody yeah, where yeah she we're went. not gonna go there but she moved to the country she's like doing the you know Growing gardens and the farming thing. She's got goats and stuff. It's great. Awesome. But she went on one of the local libertarian sites uh, in Georgia and said, hey, my buddy, Bud's in the basement, you know, is going to be having Shane Hazel on. What kind of questions do you have? Well, as you know, libertarians have all the questions and they're going to be very elaborate. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some of them because Let's go. I feel like these are pretty good. I was going to say and the libertarian I want, site I want scare you her to off. Shine. Like, <laughs> No, actually, she is a she is a libertarian, so oh, it's pretty okay. cool. You know? So it's, she it's, she, it's she knows awesome. the dynamic. Yeah, yeah, but you know, yeah, there's it's there, but you know, these are some very serious questions that these people want to know in Georgia with you running for governor, and and I want to ask you because I want to see you flourish. I want to see libertarians win office. You know, you have a big big cheering session here in Detroit. That's all I'm going to say. So let's start here. On the broad scheme of things, how would Georgia look different under libertarian leadership? What are some common misconceptions about libertarian policies or ideologies? Like like those who, I'm sorry, I'm old guys. I can read. I just don't have my glasses at the moment. <laughs> um, like those who don't know anything, assume like anarchy, etc. All right, so, so what would what would Georgia look like under libertarian leadership? Let's talk about day one, right? Like, we're elected governor, and we come in. I get to appoint my five people to the board of pardons, first and foremost, right? Throw my guys in, and we're going to do pardons. And then the first thing that I think the executive has to do is address the executives in the state. And that meeting goes something like this with it. All the mayors and all the sheriffs in, in Georgia. We are done prosecuting people that are peaceful people. Done. Period. I don't care what they're doing. If they aren't hurting people and they're not taking their stuff, we are done prosecuting those people. So you need to put out a stay. You need to have a meeting with all your deputies, all your police officers, whatever it is. This is now the command from the executive of the state. Now, if we find you violating the rights of anybody, and I mean I don't care if people have tanks. I don't care if people have automatic weapons. I don't care if they have suppressors. I don't care what they have in terms of arming themselves. Those people are doing exactly what their right on this earth as a human being is in protecting and defending their property. They are, they are above prosecution. And if we find you, we are going to prosecute you in line with the federal code 18 U.S. Code 242, deprivation of rights under color of law. It's a 10-year minimum sentence up to death 
which I'm not really about death penalty in terms of being a libertarian. So maybe prison, maybe we drop you in the Alaskan wilderness. I don't know what happens, but that way we don't have to, (laughs) we we, we don't have to pay for the prison sentence. So day one, uh, that is my, my message to all the executives in the state. And then what we need to obviously start doing is, you know, pushing around, you know, the, the idea that, Hey, these bureaucrats, all this stuff that's coming forward in terms of a bill, you've got one year. Whatever the last bill that was passed in the legislature for spending, you've got a year. This is your last spending, right? This is it. The The tax that we've taken from these people that you've called non-essential, you're going to find out very quickly if you are essential or not. You can go open up GoFundMes. You can open up whatever you know voluntary type system. And if your branch in the government can exist at a voluntary level and you can receive funding, then great. You still have a job. Welcome to the real world where people who actually go out and produce for a living are rewarded for the services that they give to everyone. So that's my message to anybody and everybody who's in government, which trickles down first and foremost. I think uh, a lot of people start thinking about schools, right? Indoctrination camps are done Mm -hmm. right there is no more truancy laws you want to educate your kids you want to send them to a a different home you want to send them uh to a private school or whatever it is your right now we're going to start doing local education because local education whether it's family uh or industry in that area is far better and freer in terms of freeing minds and freeing people to ideas and opportunities and skills that are actually profitable instead of parasitic so that's like that's day one, and you know from there we are going to decentralize faster and faster and faster while keeping up relations with, you know, all of our border states to, for for free trade. Now let me just throw this out there, Georgia folks. Um, I'm extremely jealous and envious <laughs> that you have a candidate like this because here in Michigan, I'm going to be stuck with Gretchen Whitmer for another four years because her opponent has zero chance of beating her. Um, really? Not only because she's a rhino, but because she's just she doesn't have a shot. They had 19 Republicans. I mean, not 19. I'm exaggerating, but there's like <laughs> all these Republicans running. They couldn't figure it out, you know. And and so they throw Tudor out there, Tudor Dixon. I feel like this might be one of the most embarrassing elections in the history of elections. She's going to get mollywopped in the polls. Really? And I'm disgusted by it. Not that I want her to win. I just want to be stuck with Big Gretch for another four years. Oh man, as a as a Trump favorite, Tudor's going down. Huh? I, I haven't I haven't heard inside of what's going on up there. I know she's running, and I know she's running against Gretchen, who's god awful. But man, that's terrible to hear. I'm sorry. Oh man, dude, like just in the media right now, like you know, Gretchen's got her slaughter ad out on uh, out on Tudor right now that because she don't believe in anything. No, no exemptions when it comes to abortion. You know, that's her big war cry and whatever. This is a pretty blue state. We have our, it is now. It wasn't yeah. always, but, you know, we're stuck with Gretch. I wish we had a libertarian here. I thought Amash might do it. And it was crickets. It was crickets I, I, I suggested him, that he definitely but, uh, did. Yeah, I'm, I, I was a big Amash guy, you know, but uh, and I love what he's doing, and he's got his podcast and such, and I check that out every once in a while. But let's move on to, you, to the next question from your Georgia folk down there. A large percentage of Americans are libertarians and don't even know it. What are some examples 
of how libertarians share more broadly held concepts or opinions that might be expected. I, I think you just point to every day, right? It's like, how many people do you go murder every day? How many people do you go and force and coerce every day? You don't. You are a free market, free trade individual. And just by nature, you wake up every day and you have peaceful interactions with everybody that you come in contact with. Hopefully, that is your goal, right? To get back to the bed that you're not inviting harm upon yourself. In terms of being a libertarian, man, you live those principles day in and day out. Nothing on earth gives anybody a right to violate those principles. Ever. Not a badge, not a shield, not a title, not land, nothing. And so to carry out so that you do not have cognitive dissonance, why not extend this into the government? You know, you can have a government that's voluntary, but only the, the things that actually provide goods and services of value to a market are going to survive. It's, it's no different. You don't need force and coercion for a market to thrive. And it means that, like I said earlier, if somebody abuses their customers or somebody takes advantage of a situation, it opens the, the realm for competition. And once you have the, that, man, like I said earlier, monopolies can only exist in a place where you're giving goods and services at the best rate possible. Yeah, I mean, competition is key to everything. I, you know, I said something in one of the more recent shows that, you know, our big grocery train is Kroger. And what would it be like if Kroger was the only outfit in town and they could charge whatever the fuck they wanted to, yeah. right? And you'd have to pay those prices no matter what. But because we have a Meyer and a VG's and, and, you know, all the mom and pop stores, they're forced to create, you know, lower pricing and stuff. And I feel like that's how it should be in, in medicine and schools as well. Competition yeah. is key to um, making things better for the American consumer. Yeah, you know, if you're per se. If, if you're always now, striving for if you're always striving to provide the market the best good or service, you have to now understand that somebody else to outdo you has to do better than you. And that's good for everybody. That good or service if it's better than this guy's good or service for the value, then society notches up, right? It's, it's that ratcheting effect. And ratcheting up is always right. going to be a monopoly of being static. I, yeah, I mean, one more time, I agree. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now, <laughs> next question. Sure. And this this is one of my this is one of my favorite questions because I feel like a lot of people are feeling this right now. How does somebody start to care about politics again after the past X amount of years of bad choice versus bad choice, bad news and more bad news, uh, and more bad news? Just not that guy, etc. How do we accomplish something? good and get past just not that guy and fear-based voting i'd say you need a cause not a leader and the cause is freedom if if freedom isn't on the tip of your mind and tongue every time you turn around right now it's not that you have to be interested in politics it's that you need to be interested in a cause and right now in terms of freedom economically, uh, spiritually, you name it. I mean, across the board, um, we have been enslaved. And so do you want to be enslaved or do you want to be free? And that's the question. It's, it's not, you know, whether you've got a great leader, it's not whether or not 
you've got um, you know the uh, the politician that's you know less evil or any of that kind of stuff. It's what is the cause? Can you unite with other people around you, decentralized, and push towards freedom? And then in, in terms of you know energizing people to politics. I'm not trying to energize people to politics. I'm trying to energize people to a cause of decentralization that they can take care of locally without leaders. Okay, okay. Now, I got two more questions from your Georgia folks, and then I'm going to have some fun questions for you from me because, <laughs> you know, we like to have a little fun on this show too. We can't just be political Let's rage cases all the time, which is one of my favorite things, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, man... Oh, where'd it go? I lost it. Oh, will you participate in the tax waiver wars with neighboring states to solicit Fortune 100 companies to relocate to Georgia? As governor, what can you do to lower or abolish certain taxes, and how do you plan on achieving this? The uh, the, the board of, um, oh, what was the, top of my head, uh, the board of pardons and paroles and all that kind of stuff, right? Like, I get to appoint those five people. And when we appoint those five people, we're talking. Oh, no, I lost you. Oh, you still there? I'm still here. Oh, I, I got you. Hold on. It, it, man, it went on mute. You still there? I got you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I lost you there for a second. We're there. We're there. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's all it's all good. Um, I, It went on mute. Uh, the 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 board of pardons and paroles, that's, those are my guy, right? Like I get to appoint five people. Now, if people are still trying right. to go after people for taxes, those people are going to be automatically pardoned. Like, you know, whatever it is, you're not violent, you're getting out. So we're not collecting taxes, period. Like that's, we're done. If you can't survive in the world, then you are the non-essential ones. We're going to put the, you know, Brian Kemp and the rest of these people that say, you know, some people are not essential to, to the test, um, to, to lower and abolish taxes. All I have to do is an executive to say, Hey, listen, um, I don't think we should be collecting any taxes through force and coercion. People will pay for what they want for goods and services, and the world will continue to go around more peacefully than it has in the past. And if anybody is violating those rights, we're going after those people in the executive branch that are going out and using force and coercion against peaceful people to to take through force their their property. So it's it's just you know it kind of ties a bow on that whole neat circle. Is we're not dealing with anything uh in terms of peaceful people as the executive we're going after the hardened criminals uh and staying away from people that quote unquote owe the state some imaginary amount of money uh at the end of the year okay okay now this is a big one because this is what's on a lot of people's mind right now especially women um what can you do to ensure medical privacy rights in the in I'm sorry, what can you do to ensure medical privacy rights in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned and the heartbeat bill being enacted? Are you willing to make political ideology a protected class like race, gender, and age? Are you open to implementing cybersecurity wing of the Georgia Defense Force? What can you do as governor to foster school of choice? I told you, oh, these wow. people are bringing the fire. That's a, that's a whole bunch of questions in one. Um, medical freedom, right? Yeah. <laughs> government, government doesn't, has no place in, uh, in your medical decisions, period. Now that's going to foster itself down to decentralized levels. Again, cities, counties, and things like that. Are they all going to be the same? No, they're not. But those 
places will will do what they need to do in terms of their conscience, right? And allowing, you know, allowing, setting people free in terms of their conscience is where we have to go. Um, it, that's, that's medical freedom. We've got nothing to do with it. We will say nothing about it. Uh, and the state will never, ever, ever push anything in terms of medical requirements or mandates on anybody as long as I'm governor. Um, the, the next question, Fantastic. in terms of school choice, right? Uh, school should be abolished in terms of the monopolization on tax dollars that the, the you know that they have, right? Um, I'm not saying that teachers are bad. I married a teacher for God's sakes that went to you know Michigan State. So I understand better than most how damn hard teachers work. And I understand why they get into teaching is because they want to foster the next generation. And we need those people, but we need them unleashed. We need them, you know, without this ridiculous administrative, you know, layer that adds absolutely nothing but indoctrination to the the cause. So, uh, school choice is going to be one of those things by default because the Georgia school system is going to go away. And I should say the Georgia youth indoctrination system is done. As soon as I'm governor, hey, listen. We got something to do down here, uh, and that is going to be up to you, your municipalities, your counties, and your family. Uh, you guys are going to have to figure this out. And I, I have all the faith in the world that people will provide a better solution in those localities than what can be provided by the state. Awesome, awesome, man. Now, lastly, from your Georgia folk right now, and this is another big one, probably multiple questions in one. But like I said, man, these people weren't playing games when she wouldn't ask them questions. They want to know. I love it. So, uh, well, this is libertarians in general. We have to know everything. Yeah. You know, it's not just like what, what you know, what, what are libertarians doing? No, we have to know everything. What kind of deodorant does that guy use? So oh, we can gross. Make up he uses deodorant? Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay. What, what's the libertarian approach to healthcare at the state level? What libertarian policies would improve mental health and addiction health care access? That's the first bulk of the questions, and we'll move forward from there. Yeah, so in, in, again, medical freedom is yours. Like we're, we're, our, our approach to um, the first part of the question I forgot, but the, the second approach is the, the freedom of nature, right? Like it is like as a vet, you know, your podcast is called Buds in the Basement. You know, we have a lot of real mental issues because people can't make sense of all the lies that they've been told. Like there's this, there's this conundrum because people's what they've been told is real is nonsense. So when, when we look at the bigger picture here, it is, you know, removing and nullifying decentralizing, uh, the, the, you know, the, the plants and funguses and everything else that provide a, a benefit to, uh, people that are struggling mentally and you know as as that guy look I mean t-shirt right free radicals psilocybin and cannabis flower right. like those things help more veterans than the state-sponsored you know let's throw pills at everything so that these guys eventually take anxiety medicine and blow their heads off you know and that's that's after being constipated yeah, take a bunch of adderall take a bunch of vicodin whatever it is percocet. class a narcotics by the way that's right and, and <laughs> you get them get them hooked on percocet 
stuff them up with shit because they're constipated. Now they need some type of, you know, constipation medicine. And then you're going to throw because they feel terrible about themselves for all these different pills they have to take. Now they're going to take some type of antipsychotic or anxiety medicine that's going to put them over the edge. And then, boom, you've got, you know, that. That's not where we're going. We're going with free homeopathic from the earth type of uh, cures that the private market will will obviously use uh, charity will will fund uh, and that people can find real relief in. I mean, things like you know the Johns Hopkins studies for mental health on psilocybin. You know, it's not like you're going to get hooked. You're going to have maybe one or two experiences, and you're going to see significant and drastic changes in people's mentality. So, for the first question, I feel that personally. Freedom. Yeah. <laughs> I am a, uh, a, a personal user of uh, cannabis uh, daily. It helps me with my everyday life. I, I have depression stuff. I have anxiety stuff. Uh, I have ADHD. I'm climbing the walls, man. You constantly. got life, brother. You know, I can't sit still. That's why I paint houses because I'm always moving. Um, but that medication is so helpful to me to where I don't take RX drugs for nothing. I don't take aspirin. I don't take anything. I, I use marijuana for everything. And, and it's been helpful. And don't get me wrong. I like to get stoned. I mean, that's, it's buds in the basement. It's called buds for a reason. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get but, it. uh, you know, <laughs> I... but, but that being said, you know, I, I feel that marijuana psilocybin, I've actually been entertaining microdosing because, uh, you know, Michigan's on a kick right now where, uh, two cities Ann Arbor and Detroit have both decriminalized, uh, psilocybin and we also have a psilocybin clinic uh, out by me in Hazel Park, um, hmm. which I'm not too sure if you're familiar with. Yeah, that. I I'm actually right am. Outside of Detroit, I, 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 two, it's, yeah, uh, two, it's it's yeah, it's two miles outside of the factor. west side of Detroit. I'm I'm actually in Oak Park. Okay, yeah. So so Hazel Park but, uh, is actually where my family but, came through uh, from. You know, they they came over from Ireland and then through uh, Eastern uh, Ontario and then down through Toronto and into. The Detroit area before making their way up to uh, Midland. So yeah, no Midland and Flint. Oh, awesome, yeah. awesome. Yeah, I'm in that mecca. I'm in all that Royal Oak stuff. I'm right there. I could walk to the Detroit Zoo for real. And uh, <laughs> you know, but anyways, the the last the last little chunk of questions from your Georgia folks. Um, oh, where'd I go here? Uh, oh, I'd also like to ask how they plan on beating the sitting governor that helped foster a $2 billion surplus, which he plans to distribute to citizens and use to rebate property taxes. I'm a libertarian and I'm really happy with this plan. That's what they wrote. Well, um, beating, I don't know. I, I think, I think we've got a, a real issue with, uh, the confidence of individuals. You, everybody out there, like, uh, you know, good buddy spike says you, know, you are the power. If you believe that you can affect change, then you can. And that's one of the things that, you know, I came along and I was like, how am I going to affect change? And, you know, over time and effort and action, I have. And I'm not saying I'm ever going to beat the system. What I'm saying is, is I'm going to help a irate minority recognize itself, to empower itself, to believe in itself, to a cause, not me. And when I have that that's all I need. I, and the thing is, is they don't need me. And I have like, that, that's, 
I think that's one of the biggest things is the confidence problem in people to understand that they can do this, that they have the power within themselves to correct the course through decentralization and nullification with their sheriffs and their mayors and saying, stop messing around with peaceful people. I'm here to encourage people to a cause. I'm not here to quote unquote beat the system. And when people realize that and they unify together, the system's done. That's the, that's how you beat the system. That's how you beat Brian Kemp. That's how you keep all of your money and don't have to worry about refunds from a government that took it in the first place. So that's that's my pitch to people out there is like I'm not trying to beat systems. I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not telling people that I'm ever going to beat the the rigged voting system in Georgia or anywhere else. It is we are going to do this at the local level and uh that's not going to be me. That's going to be you guys creating uh, your own cause and your own action locally. Yes, you are the power, folks. I love that. I love what he's doing with that, by the way. You know, you're part of my personal liberta- libertarian trifecta. I'm a horse <laughs> fan. So I'm going to say the trifecta. I appreciate it. And it's, it's, it's you, Spike, and Cajun, for real. Like, you guys are my libertarian trifecta. Good man. dudes, man. I love following you guys. I've been all around, like, I started following you guys all right around the same time. Now, for my fun questions, you know, outside of the political stuff, sure, I'm a big music nerd. I love music is my first love. Sorry, wife, but she knows. Um, and I've stereotyped you into a particular genre, and I hope I'm right. And if I'm wrong, I'm I suck. I stereotyped you into being a metalhead. Oh, Am I right, man? I'll tell you what. Um, you're not. I. <laughs> I am. Uh... <laughs> I am a man. I'm damn it. I'm like I can, I can listen to it. Don't get me wrong. Like there was a there was a stint. You know, obviously in the Marine Corps where I got to listen to a lot of metal, a lot of metalheads in the circles where I you know would roam and like you know. A oh lot, yeah, for sure. Right, and and so I found some you know stuff that I could that I listened to um, for more energetic pieces, right? But uh, man, I'll tell you what, I'm kind of a hippie. Like I I am this. Uh, you know, this, this, okay. I'm a, I'm a mountain farmer that wants to be left alone in peace. And I, I'll tell you right now, man, I enjoy ballads. I enjoy these, you know, pieces that tell stories through, you know, poetic and like poetic language that change from like, it's almost two different songs that evolves. So, you know, between like guys like Led Zeppelin was my first love. I mean, absolutely yes. loved Led okay. Zeppelin, right? And and these guys that not only write these ballads, but have, you know, gone out and beat the pop culture machine in terms of coming into their own in terms of having an audience that aren't you know religiously played and cut up and and done all this you know nonsense like those are my people greta from michigan man oh my god i'm taking i'm taking my kids that's a that's zeppelin 2.0 dude they are so good and the thing greta is, Van is Fleet? yeah you see those guys in concert like yeah they are so so good, and you see, like what they've done is like they've 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 taken the old tech. I mean, a lot of these guys are you know they're using older instruments, right? And like they have replicated, and I say replicated, but also created their own sound in this, and it is just, I mean, it's vibration, right? And that's that's the other thing I love about them, right? Like there's something else that they're pushing. They're not going out there to get rich, like Josh, the lead singer of Greta Van Fleet. Man, that guy, I think, just mm-hmm. got his doctorate in 
either philosophy or uh, some sort of psychiatric, right? Like this guy's on a mission. He talks about the peaceful army. He talks about, you know, uh, you know, bringing people together and healing and like love and, you know, just all this hippie stuff that, I mean, that I'm all about, right? Like, and it's just like, oh man. That's awesome. If I could go to more concerts where young, energetic dudes, dudettes, whatever, are creating their own music, telling stories, writing ballads, and like, if I had one genre, that's it, man. Like, that's my genre. But I listen to everything. I get guilty pleasures all over the place that are just gross. <laughs> oh, oh, so do I. Like, people make fun. I, I consider myself musically bipolar because I'm literally all over the map. I just happen to be a huge metalhead, mm-hmm. but I'm also a huge fan of 90s hip-hop, which uh, Cajun <laughs> Libertarian and I talked about because he's a 90s hip-hop guy. Really? Um, but, uh, man, Led Zeppelin, you know, they're a big deal. They're, they're, they're uh, one of the greatest American rock bands of all time. But the funny thing is about them is they take the cake on most, uh, you know, say top 100 metal bands of all time or whatever, or rock bands. Even in the metal category, Led Zeppelin is hmm. over Black Sabbath. It's Zeppelin and then wow. Sabbath number two. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they definitely have some, I guess, a metal vibe to them, according to VH1 yeah. anyways. You know, I was a big uh, fan of MTV and VH1 when I was a kid. Yeah. So I watched all that shit, you know, over and over and over again. What was the best concert you ever went to? Oh, man. I'll tell you what. Uh, Audio Slave back in the day um, with Chris Cornell. Yes! Dude, I'm going to tell you right now. Holy hell. And, you know, like, uh, what's his, uh, the, the, the guitarist, uh, uh, Tom Morello. Tom Morello. You know, dude, seeing that guy, you know, just wail in person. What was cool is, like, they came out and they did, I think it was, I think it was their second album. Because I was like, hey, you know, you guys want to go to this? And, like, some of my best friends from, like, childhood. I was just freshly back from the Marine Corps. I had been listening to Audio Slave a lot while I was overseas. Because, you know, CDs do real well and CD players in the dust and everything else. So, like, when when I got back and, you know, got a chance and they were in, in town, like, one of my friends, she's like, hey, I got a we got a box at this arena and I was like, can we go? And she's like, of course we can. So we all went and, um, you know, like they play the show absolutely, you know, a a riot for a show. And then, you know, because of rights and all that kind of stuff, they had to do things separately towards the end. And they gave like the, the, like the standing O's and the, you know, the encores that these guys came out and did, like Morello and I, f- I forget the other guy's name, but like they came out and played and then Chris came out and sang and then Chris came out by himself in like a t-shirt and did, I think it was either Black Hole Sun or like in, in a couple others and like he just had the entire audience singing with him, right? It was just a spotlight, acoustic guitar and the entire audience was singing his songs in this arena and you were like, Oh my, like for him, for the whole, you know, place, it was just, and it wasn't lit up with phones. It was lit up with, you know, lighters and, and like, it was awesome. Probably the best old school. I love it. Yeah. It was really kick-ass. You know, you just spoke to my heart because, um, anybody who listens to this show, I talk about it all the time, but Chris Cornell in my eyes is the greatest to ever do it. He is my hands down favorite singer songwriter. Um, his tenure with, Audio Slave, I actually appreciate a lot more than Soundgarden. I love Soundgarden. It was That's great. kind of my era growing up in high school, yeah. you know. But man, Audio Slave just—it was something different. The vibe was different, you know. The sound was different because it was the guys from Rage Against the Machine. 
But like, I literally ugly cried when Cornell died. Like, that's how <laughs> oh, much the... I love. Yeah. Oh man, like that broke my heart for real because yeah. it was like a piece of my childhood was stolen from me. I remember Dude. locking myself in my bedroom for weeks, learning Soundgarden songs back in the day on my guitar. Yeah, I mean, you know, and then you go down the conspiracy one with that too because that's that's what got me. It was like, man, they were in some like they were trying to you know expose some pedo shit, and you're like, dude like Chris gone, like just like that, like no way, man. Like, and that's the thing is like, everybody was like, there's no way Chris killed himself. I mean, even Howard Stern, you know, was like, dude, Chris Cornell, he didn't kill himself. I knew this guy, like this guy was full of life and ambition and he, you know, great looking guy. He, you know, he could play, he could sing like no other human being on earth. And you're just like, like, no, there's no way this guy killed himself. And that's that's what really upset me over his death. I was like, God almighty, way too soon. Yeah, it, I mean, it was pretty messed up. And I'll tell you something real eerie. Um, my cousin works for Live Nation. And so when these acts come to town, uh, he's got to take care of them. Get them whatever they need. You know what I mean? If they want a hot dog from somewhere, he's got to go get it. Yeah. Whatever they want, he gets it. He worked that show that night. And he literally, oh man, the hair on my arms is standing up right now. Um, he literally is one of the last people to ever see Chris alive. He watched Chris get into his car at 11.15 at night to go back to his hotel. And he was found dead by 12.05 oh, by his security. God. In the hotel. Like, whoa, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's the one who texts me. He's blowing my phone up. He's never up early in the morning. And I'm getting up for work. I'm like, what the hell's going on? He's like, Cornell. I'm like, what do you mean, Cornell? And he told me, and I was like, oh, because that was deep, man. Like, that that's my guy, and still this day, he'll always be my favorite singer-songwriter ever in history. Uh, he's... Beautiful man, beautiful, you know, music, and it's sad to see him go. Um, that I think that's pretty dope that you're an Audio Slave fan like that, and that's your favorite concert, because I've literally seen him over 20 times between wow. Soundgarden, uh, yeah, solo stuff and audio. Like, I'm a super fan. For yeah, I, I tell you what. I get one of the, you know, I'm just one of those people. I never missed after that. I was like, whenever he's in town, I'm going. Just you're like, it, it's an experience. You, I mean, in in person, like to see this, to be able to tell your you know your kids, your grandkids, like I saw this guy in concert, like at this place, this place, and this place. Like that's a that's one of my favorite things. Now is we're about to start introducing the kids, and my kids love Greta, like love, and so we're gonna. We're gonna take them up to like North Carolina, and we're going. That's to their awesome, show in man. October. That's awesome. You gotta, you gotta teach your kids right when it comes to music. because oh, yeah. What's coming out now is bullshit. Oh, it's garbage. Oh my god, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like my parents right now. What the hell are you listening to? You know this, is I mean? but, this crafted but... <laughs> beats per minute bullshit. Like can't sing auto tune. Yeah. Nonsense. Oh my god. No substance. Know, my Southern Baptist parents hated my ah! musical choice. Let me tell you that. I love it. Oh my gosh. It was, I had to hide things. Like if it had a parental advisory label, let me tell you, it was like hidden somewhere under the bed. And then when they found my stuff. Yeah. Whoo, oh, I tell you That what. was special. They found all my tapes my, one my, time. Yeah. Tapes folks. I'm that old. My mom and dad didn't have that. But uh, that, Yeah. That was interesting. Uh, that problem. Like, but Shane, man, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for doing this. And uh, it, it was a pleasure. I wish you the best in your governor race. And uh, you know, Go out there and kick some ass and take some votes, man. Please, please do do it for the Liberty Movement. I hope you Georgia folks down there enjoyed this show. I know you're going to listen. Um, but until next time, man, you are welcome back anytime. You have a great one, and uh, much love, y'all. Be good.
All right, that's it, man. Sean, thank that, you so much, Shane. That was oh man, awesome. I am uh, I am so humbled and seriously, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the uh, I don't know what the, the not the multicast whatever it is crossover uh, and introduce you to to the audience, man, because I think like you got something good going. Keep it up, like really appreciate. I'm it. trying, I'm trying hard. Like this is what I went to school for. I'm actually uh, Bubba and I, my co-host. I, I wish he would have been here. He just couldn't be. Um, we'll do it again. I we mean, met at Specs Howard. Dude, I, like, like we went to Specs Howard School. If you guys want to do stuff like this, maybe even like, I, like I'm going to branch out as soon as I've got more time after November, man. Like to to be able to like teach people how to podcast on you know like an extreme budget and how to just create content and like what it does for you and just in in, in terms of here, right? Like being able to talk, being able to talk to other people that you have like-mindedness, share ideas, grow each other, grow businesses, grow grow freedom and, and liberty. Like to be able to do all these things and you know, like I think what you do at the end where you talk about, you know, something that's not, you know, politically related, perfect, perfect type of segue uh, to really leave lasting impressions on people. So awesome. You know, I try to I try to do the best I can with this stuff and I don't always say the right things. I'm pretty I'm pretty hardcore. I'm sure you haven't listened to all my shows, but there's a, it was hard for me without the, I'm a lot of motherfucker and then cocksucker. And you know what I mean? There's a lot of cussing. It's just the way I'm Irish Italian. I mean, that's the way I was raised. My grandmother's favorite word was cunt. Yeah. Like, you know I, what I mean? I'm like, Irish German. And so like, you know, living here and like, you know, my wife is Italian and, and Czech. And so it's like, you know, like there is, we, we do whatever we need to get out of our system. Like it's communications key. Right. So, can't, We're all can't a bunch of border up. jumpers, man. And nobody understands that. But, <laughs> that's right. Know, if if you're Caucasian, you are a border jumper, and that's and one way or another, you are. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sean, hey, man, uh, seriously, anytime, and uh, especially after this election, let's do some more stuff. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on and doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm gonna we're gonna hurry up and edit this. And then I'll drop the bomb on socials probably within the next few hours. Please don't say anything because I'm having way too much fun with this. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Shane, so much for your time. And uh, good luck to you, sir. You too, brother. Take care. Bye, Sean. Um, Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.